0: pointed beard a farm boy from the small town of hope new jersey he had arrived in the city 30 years before with little more than a skill for persuasion but went on to become a multimillionaire laying gas lines and selling electric batteries the united gas improvement and electric storage battery companies had also enriched many of the city's leading citizens when he brought his sons to see the launch of st louis he was rumored to be worth 15 million dollars a stupendous pile of money in 1894. His sometime partner in the gas business was a well-connected member of an old Philadelphia family, St. Louis's owner Clement Griscom, president of the International Navigation Company, a shipping firm he founded with the help of the mighty Pennsylvania Railroad. William Warren Gibbs might have looked at ships with an eye for profit, but for his eight-year-old son, William Francis, seeing a great ship was pure poetry. During summer days at the family's summer home on the New Jersey shore, the boy scanned the horizon for funnels, masts, and black smudges of coal smoke, and then sketched what he saw. He knew that as he looked north, ocean liners, growing bigger and faster every year, were sailing in and out of the great port city of New York. Little Willie yearned for a closer look at one of these ocean greyhounds. And now, at his father's side, he had his chance. St. Louis was a liner of vigorous beauty, her graceful hull draped with red, white, and blue bunting. The shipyard was also a marvel to behold. William Cramp and Sons had been building cargo ships, passenger liners, and warships for over 60 years. The proud standard-bearer for Philadelphia's industrial might, Cramps employed more than 5,000 workers, many of them immigrants from Ireland and Italy. In the yard was a towering crane perched atop a floating barge, that could pick up a seventy-ton boiler and deftly swing it into the hull of a ship over three hundred feet away. Muscular riveters put hulls together by hammering red-hot rivets into steel and iron plates. Roaring orange fires glowed from forges where men shaped mammoth pistons, propellers and funnels with the precision of watchmakers. As the music from the band faded into silence, the little boy and the crowd around him awaited the launching of the great ship, Mounting the platform, Cramp handed the First Lady a bottle of champagne. The hydraulic rams then hit the ship a bit too early, and the hull started to creep down the ways. Startled, the First Lady called out, I christen thee St. Louis, and smacked the bottle across the prow before it slid out of reach. Picking up speed, the ship roared down the tallow-greased slipway toward the Delaware River kicking up billows of acrid smoke and, upon hitting the water, sending waves smashing against the banks. Once fully in the river, heavy chains slowed her to a stop. Tugboat crews secured their lines, and she was towed to the fitting out basin. Her sister ship, St. Paul, remained on an adjacent slipway to be christened in April of the following year. At a luncheon after the launch, frock-coated dignitaries toasted the glory of the new American flagship— and the presumed rebirth of the nation's preeminence on the North Atlantic. The American Merchant Marine, before the Civil War, a vast fleet of clippers, whaling ships, and sailing packets, had been in steady decline for decades. An American steamship had not held the transatlantic speed record for half a century. The culprits were lack of government support, a shortage of private capital, and cheaper, subsidized foreign competition. But to President Cleveland and Clement Griscombe, St. Louis represented the dawn of a new era of American maritime might. We may well be proud because we have launched the largest and most powerful steamship in the Western Hemisphere, the President declared, built on American plans by American mechanics and of American materials. The two ships would furnish the revival and development of American commerce and the renewed appearance of the American flag in foreign ports. To little William Francis Gibbs, The launching of the new ship on that drizzly November day marked the start of a lifelong love affair. He would grow up to build a ship much bigger, faster, and grander than the magnificent St. Louis. That was my first view of a great ship, and from that day forward I dedicated my life to ships, William Francis Gibbs later recalled. I have never regretted it. The size, beauty, and luxury of the 19th century ocean liner captivated the public. But even more alluring was speed. Speed is the only thing which they talk, think, or dream of anywhere between Sandy Hook and Roach's Point, the New York Times said about American passengers in 1883.